All right, so yes, if you did get a handout, I am going to use this little experiment. You know I like to try out things on you guys. So this is um, our friends at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. They do Bible overview as well during their Sunday school hour. And I've used them for uh, research and study. But tonight, I wanted to combine all of these, and they combine all of them in one class. And so I really like the way they laid this out. So we are going to use their curriculum uh, tonight. And so we're going to look at three books, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. And just to kind of get us going, these are three books that deal really with the problem of evil. Um, and the answer that, that each of these books give to the problem of evil, there are three different ones, Nahum assures us that God will judge. Right? So that's always a good thing when we... Hello? Hello. Thank you for fixing my office door uh, yeah, sign. Yeah, totally fixed it. Right? Uh, Nahum assures us that God will judge. And that's something that we can take a measure of comfort in, knowing that evil is not going to get away with everything <coughs> or anything. Um, moving on to Habakkuk, while Nahum proclaims that God is a judge... Habakkuk will call us to trust. And so Habakkuk's going to call us to trust in God. And finally, Zephaniah is going to point towards the future and redemption. So three kind of views that we're going to work our way through for each book. But let's start with the first one. Hi, Bridget. Nahum, and the context again, late 7th century BC. Remember that the kingdom is divided, northern kingdom and southern kingdom. The northern, northern kingdom has already fallen to Assyria, and the southern kingdom uh, of Judah is just about ready to fall at the moment. I have a question. Yes. It's talking about Nivea. Is that the same? Nineveh. 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 Yep. So about the 7th century, the Assyrians, which are the Ninevites, they are feared by the people of Judah. Um, and the question that they're asking is, where is your God, O people of Yahweh? That's their, their main question. They have a theme here for the book of Nahum, and I thought it was a good one in your handouts there. It says, Yahweh is still jealous for his people and ferociously protective of them. Therefore, they need not fear, for Yahweh is stronger than their enemies, and he will strip them of their strength. And so, again, the call to trust in, in God, who is jealous for them, who is protective of them, and they need not fear. Assyria, of course, is kind of the big power that's happening right now. Babylon is eventually going to take on Assyria, which we'll see in this book. But right now, the big dog in the picture is Assyria and Israel's very, very afraid of them doing the same thing that they did to their northern neighbors, to them as well. So we got three themes to work through. First one is that Yahweh will protect his people. And if we look at chapter one, <clears throat> oh, you guys have matching sweatshirts. Yes, and I also fixed your sign. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. Uh, Noel already fixed it. <laughs> Wait, what's over there? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I didn't see that happen. It smells good. Oh, I tried to tell you when you're in Smells great. There's cookies over here. Oh, Bob, while you still can, your milk is probably still Bob, good, buddy. Smell it. <laughs> Bob, I can't. Thank you, Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> the size of that. 
I know. Are they still warm? Please don't tell me they're still warm. Just stop and get one. I can't right now. Because you're just not going to concentrate. All right, say Nahum, chapter 1, verse 1, an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is jealous and avenging. He's a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are of the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him and the world and all who dwell in it. So as we look at these verses, right, we hear the way that Nahum is describing God. What are some of the things we see about God in those first five verses there? What are some words? Jealous. 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 Avenging. 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 Anger. Wrathful. So a lot of these similar words we've been hearing for quite some time now in the Minor Prophets, right? God expressing his judgment, right? And why is he judging Nineveh? Why is he so angry at Nineveh? Assyria, so to speak. Why is he angry with Assyria? What did they just do to the northern, northern kingdom? Oh, they just carried them away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So even though it was, uh, they were used by God to judge the northern kingdom, Assyria is still, once again, held responsible for their sin. There's something else that happens, though. Look at verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power will by no means clear the guilty. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Everybody's like, well, obviously it should. Okay, Romans. Yep. Romans is quoting, actually, before that, Exodus. Exodus 34. Right? I am. Tell them I am is sending you. Truly you are a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and kindness. Right? He says he will forgive those, the generations, but he also will by no means clear the guilty. So we kind of have here a little throwback to Exodus, right? Um, and so he's kind of also, in the midst of this, he's like, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God, but he's also slow to anger. So it's like, again, these little, little glimmers of God's redemption in the midst of this, calling back on God's character, right? Uh, Nahum is also doing more than kind of recalling Exodus. He's also taking a swipe at the Assyrian gods themselves. And he's saying that they are not going to triumph, right? The Assyrians believed in the gods of nature. And Yahweh, though, is sovereign over all of nature. And so the point here is that Assyria only appears to be mighty and strong, but it's actually Yahweh, God himself, who is actually all-powerful over everything. If you look at verse 7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. And in verse 8, he is going to actually destroy Nineveh. So this is God in his, in his way that he is going to protect his people. And he's speaking specifically against his wrath against Nineveh. The second theme that they point out in Nahum is God's threatened judgment. And so God threatens judgment on Assyria, and he does that in verses 9 through 15. If we were to carry on and read that, we would see, again, all of the ways that the Lord 
again, is expressing his wrath against Assyria, like entangled thorns. Um, thus says the Lord, though they are full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Right? 13 says, I will break this yoke off of you. I'll burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given this commandment about you. Your name is not going to be perpetuated anymore. So he is again expressing his judgment. So his judgment is happening. And God is therefore also jealous and protective of his people. Right? Again, even though they transgressed him, even though they reject him, he's still jealous and protective of his people. And Judah is the one that is going to be, uh, the line of Judah will continue. And of course the line of Judah needs to continue so that the Messiah will come through the line of David. So he is going to be protective of that. Um, they give a little shout out here to Jesus in Matthew 10. And could you imagine again, is that good or bad? Matthew 10? No, Frank was looking up, is that good or bad? Oh, it feels good. Oh, it feels good? Okay. He's so quiet. Oh, yeah. That's the, the first one wasn't working, so we replaced this unit, and now it's... No, it's it feels working. good. Um, imagine, we talked about this last week, but put, put yourself in the position of someone from Judah, right? The, the northern neighbors, Israel, the northern kingdom has just been wiped out by Assyria, right? And now it's, you're pretty sure Assyria is going to come for you next. Right. You saw it happen. Like you heard stories of it happening. And now it's more than likely that Assyria is going to come for you next. It doesn't work out that way. It's, it's going to be Babylon that's going to come for Judah. They're right on still. the border. I yep. mean, you know. wow. So picture how much fear that would be. You know, the reality of what's going to happen. The reality of, yes, they are, God is expressing his judgment and it's actually going to happen. So we can draw comfort in Matthew in the words of Jesus. He says this, Do not fear those who could kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are worth more than many sparrows. Right? And so we can take comfort in Jesus and, and what he says. Right, and Especially we have... Uh, brothers and sisters all around the world who are threatened with persecution as well. And this is great, great verses for them. So God is threatening uh, his judgment in that. And if we move to chapter 3, the other theme we see there is a vision of Nineveh's, Nineveh's demise. The last two chapters of the book in 2 and 3, it's again more pictures of very kind of uh, graphic language in what's going to happen to Nineveh. Even the end of verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 13. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. It gets even worse in chapter 3. Verse 3, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts of slain, Heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. How's about that? It's like there's going to be so many bodies, you're not going to have room to pile them up. You're going to trip over all the dead bodies. He says again in verse 5, Behold, I am against you. He continues, even in verse 10, gets even more graphic. Uh, this is talking about Israel. When she became an exile, she went into captivity. Her infants were dashed into pieces. 
at the head of every street, right? So again, this is why he's expressing his wrath and his judgment. And so this is kind of a little vision into Nineveh's, Nineveh's uh, devi- demise there. Um, the end of chapter 3, verse 19, there is no ceasing your hurt, easing your hurt, your wound is grievous, all who hear the news about you clap their hands over you, for upon whom has not come your unceasing evil? And he ends with a question mark. Anybody might remember another book that we just studied recently that also ended with a question mark? As they quickly scroll to the left to see what book that might be. Lamentations? I'll give you a clue. It's one we just recently talked about that actually has Nineveh. Jonah. Jonah ends with a question. Jonah ends with the Lord saying, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. And he leaves it hanging. It's kind of weird that Nahum was now the judgment oracles on Nineveh. The Lord leaves it kind of hanging as well. What was the thing in Jonah? Did they actually repent? Did Nineveh repent? They did, right? It was like Jonah, remember Jonah preached the world's worst sermon? Right? Five words or whatever it is. Repent, you're all going to die. So the repentance didn't last long. Now here we are. Was it sincere? Nope. So we get to flash forward now from where Jonah was, and we see the repentance didn't stick. God Jonah was. So that's why Jonah was moaning. They estimate (laughs) Jonah. It was Jonah. Yes. Yes. In addition, he was so mad that God was so forgiving. I knew you were like that. But now it's like maybe. I wonder if Jonah's still around. Jonah probably said, "I told you so." Yeah. They estimate this was about 100 to 125 years after that. Oh, okay. So Jonah probably, wasn't Jonah probably is at the Chelsea right now. He retired. He was in the nursing home. Yep. So that's a quick flyby of Nahum. Let's jump over to Habakkuk. Again, we see about the same time period, late 7th century. We see internal ethical decline in Judah. And now things have shifted. Now world powers have shifted. Assyria has been taken over by Babylon, the Chaldeans. Okay, right? Babylon is the Chaldeans? Yep, so now, now the threat is, oh boy, uh, they defeated the Assyrians. Like, who would have thought anybody could have defeated the Assyrians, right? Of course, that's all part of God's judgment, right? I think it was, it wasn't Nahum, but it might have been Amos where we were, where God's literally saying, yeah, Assyria, you're going to get run over by people from the north, Babylon. And that's actually what happened. Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah said that as well, maybe. Yep. So again, this is kind of between the fall of the two kingdoms, but we've seen that the world power has shifted as well. And in the midst of this, what do you think the people of Israel are doing? Are they are they uh, repenting and doing the right thing and going to church? And no, they're still stubborn. They're still lawless. They're still breaking God's law. And Habakkuk is the guy who is calling out for justice. Remember, we said some of the bigger themes from these things uh, in the beginning. 
that uh, Habakkuk is still called to trust in the midst of all this tragedy and all of this sin, right? And so here they have a little theme for us. Yahweh is sovereign over the actions of the wicked, for even in their wickedness they serve Yahweh's purpose. However, Yahweh is not indicted for evil himself, for they will be judged for their own wickedness in due time. Thus, the people of Yahweh should patiently wait and trust their God and worship him. Easy for us to say in 2023, (laughs) sitting in a nice air-conditioned office eating cookies, right? But it's like, yeah, people of Yahweh, God's people, just patiently wait and trust their God and worship him. Meanwhile, they're going, okay, God. Um, Babylon just rolled over Assyria and now they're about to kick in our front door. Sure. We'll trust in you and worship you. So they kind of take things into their own hand, continue in their own sin. Right? So let's look at some of these themes. First one, how long this violence, right? We see some laments and Habakkuk is complaining. Look at chapter 1 of Habakkuk. How long, O Lord, shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. Remember, that's one of his complaints. He wants justice. For the wicked surround the righteous and so justice goes forth perverted. What's, what are some things that we can pull out from just those couple verses? He's lamenting. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things he's saying? Is it bold, this language? He's questioning. Yeah. yeah. Anybody ever pray like this? Mm-hmm. These prayers, like, God, how long is this going to last? You know? Like, really? Seriously? Like, why, look at him. Why do you sit idly by? Like, what are you doing up there? Like, are you... Do you even see? Do you even know what's going on? Right? We're allowed to pray stuff like this? Mm-hmm. It's in the Bible. I guess we can. Right? In a way, this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to come to him with these sorts of things. It's, it's lamenting. Right? And so we really see him pouring out his heart. But he's also angry. Right? He's like, look around. All this stuff. Oh, people are, there's no justice. Your law is being trampled. Like, and you're just doing nothing. And so Habakkuk, I'm sure, feels kind of alone. You know, he's a prophet. He's like, okay, here I am. The guy's speaking for God, and no one cares. And I'm not even sure you care, God, because you're not even answering me. And, uh, yeah, then we have the imminent threat of Babylon right there as well. So Habakkuk's not in a good place. Yeah, he's he's a little triggered right now. <clears throat> yeah. But then God is going to turn around and judge the wicked nation. Look at verse 5. Look among the nations and see this is the Lord's answer. Wonder and be astonished or astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves talks about their horses being swift, swifter than leopards, right? And more fierce than any wolves. 
They come for violence. Their faces are forward. They gather captives like sand. He's like, these people are coming, and they're coming like a freight train. And this is what's going to happen, right? So in a way, he's answering uh, Habakkuk's prayer. He's like, oh, I know exactly what's going on. And the people who are rejecting my law are going to be judged, and I'm going to use Babylon to do it. So he's like, they're not getting away with anything in this. So in Nahum, God comforts his people with strength to protect them. This time, that same strength is against God's people, and yet he's still in control of all this. We've seen this time and time again, this crazy level of sovereignty that God is still going to judge his people for their sin and their rebellion, their rejection. And he's been saying that for hundreds of years, and he's going to use other nations to do that. That's unbelievable levels of sovereignty there. Um, theme three, doesn't Yahweh love righteousness? And he continues on with Habakkuk petitions God once again, starting in verse 12 of chapter 1. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you've ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. It's like he knows what God's doing here. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler, right? He brings them up with a hook, right? This is his sovereignty that he expresses, right? And he lays this whole thing out before the Lord and says, yeah, but you're so pure, you can't look at evil, and yet you're kind of allowing this to happen. That's evil. He doesn't get it. He's wrestling with it. And then I love chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post. I will station myself on the tower. I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. We see him like literally like, okay, I've said my piece. I've said my piece twice. I'm just going to sit here and wait. And I'm going to see what you're going to say. And I'm going to see what's going to happen. Right? I mean, do we have that faith when we pray? Like we're going to, we, we say our prayers to the Lord and we're, okay, I've said it. You've heard me. I'm going to wait. But I don't sit there and wait in one spot. <laughs> I continue to go and do what I need to do. There's probably there. some poetic license <laughs> going on here. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't mean we're not allowed to do anything while we're waiting. Right? We're going to climb a big tower and sit there and watch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Two years I'm going to just Then they'll lock us away. Life. Yeah. We sometimes hear, going back to verse uh, 13, we sometimes hear that a lot, right? You who are of purer eyes than to see evil, you cannot look at wrong, right? And it's kind of like God cannot be around sin. I'm always hesitant to use the word cannot next to God, because it's not like he's unable, but sin is just incompatible with him. Like He is complete perfection. He's 100% pure. It's impossible for him to be around any iniquity whatsoever. So you can see Habakkuk kind of wrestling through these big themes, like, okay, cool, you're going to use them to judge us, which I get, we deserve judgment, but isn't that a little weird? Like, you're using evil to judge us, but... Is that cool? Can you do that, God? 
I was an older sister, yes. You can do that. You have two younger <laughs> sisters. You can set them up against each other. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> That's cute. Well, when we think about this, right, I always take us back to the cross because there we see, right, who put Jesus on the cross. It's like, did the Romans? Yes. Did the Jews? Yes. Did God? Yes. Right? God used the evil that was in their hearts to do the greatest good. Right? So God didn't do it directly, but he was sovereign enough and all-knowing enough to say, yeah, I'm going to use the evil that's in their hearts to murder my son, to execute my son, and I'm going to turn that around for the greatest good. So God's not directly involved with evil. He just knows the evil in people's hearts, and he uses that and redeems that. Same thing with judging his people Israel. Like, Assyrians and the Babylonians, let's face it, they just wanted to enlarge their territory, and they hated Israel. <clears throat> they took a lot of delight in coming in and exiling them. And God knew it was going to happen, and he allowed it to happen. Right? But he can't be charged with evil in that. He's sovereign over it, yet he's not evil himself. Um, so a couple highlights in that, what we just talked about, right? God will judge the Babylonians. He will judge them for their destruction of Israel, for their cruelty, for their idolatry. Don't forget, they're idolaters, just like his people are. Um, in verse 4 of chapter 2, God recognizes the Babylonians as puffed up, and yet says that the righteous, they will live by faith. We just saw that in Romans, right? A couple weeks ago, uh, Habakkuk 2.4, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, talking about the Babylonians, but if you're righteous, you will live by faith. Right? It's quoted in Romans 1. It's quoted in Galatians 3. And it's quoted in Hebrews, right? So justification. Salvation, again, we could say has always been by faith. That's what God's saying. Trust me. Like, I know what I'm doing here. In verse 14, it says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Yeah. I think that's a song, right? For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge. I think it's an old hymn. <coughs> so in all this, we've morphed into uh, theme number four, be patient and trust, right? He says, God will judge. What's for you to do is to live by faith, even in the midst of crazy situations. And furthermore, right, you have the complete plan of the Lord in verse 14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Like, there's bigger things at work here, Habakkuk. Like, I know you're here. I know you're scared. I know there's evil all around you. But God is working the big plan. Right? How does that comfort us in our day and age? Gives us hope. Yeah. Do we sometimes look, turn on the news and be like, okay. Yeah. I'll get it. Tony often says yeah. when we watch the news, I wonder why the Lord tarries. Yeah. You know, it, it's so... You can imagine, he's perfect. Right? I heard he's waiting for Stephen Noel to get married. Me <laughs> too. <laughs> but he's so perfect. Yeah, he is perfect. And and to see that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Except God's patient. But it, you know, in that verse, right? 
He, he makes him zoom out. He's just like, okay, I know. I know everything you're going through, but I'm also doing something here, right? I, my glory is not going to go away. Like, I am going to win. Like, my glory will cover the earth. There will be one day no evil, right? I am going to win this, right? And so for us, even today, of course, when we look at the news and we get worried, we have to zoom out as well. That God is going to get his glory. He will not be mocked in that, right? And they add another one in uh, verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. That's surprising. Yeah? Because there's so many other times where it says worship and song, you know, sing to the Lord, blah, blah. And here it says be silent. I think it said it again Yeah. in another verse uh, when I was like, okay, how silent. That's hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think he's... What, what's the significance of silence? Yeah. Listen. Trust. Okay. Listen. Trust. Yep. Yep. Maybe some reverence, too, in there. The ideas of, um, you know, okay, this is a God that's that powerful, right? That he's having nations do his bidding, right? And you're in his presence, right? That's, that would be silence. Right. I feel like we've lost that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Reverence. Yeah. For the Lord. Yeah. That's why it's so precious to have silence and during communion when they're passing out the elements. Yeah. So you can just... Except for the babies. <laughs> That's okay. I know. I don't. Like, you know, I love the babies. Yeah, I know. But, but it just it just um, makes you think. Mm -hmm. makes what you would think. you say? In awe of God. You know. And, yeah. That's a really good question. Yeah. What would you say in the what presence of the Lord? What would you say in the presence of the Lord? I would be you know, covering like, my face. I think I'd melt. Yeah. I would just don't know what to say. My mouth would be open. I'd be eating the yeah. dirt. And I'd go, oh. Yeah, right. But yet still, right, we pray. And some of our prayers are irreverent. Right? Some of our worship is irreverent. And then we have the Holy Spirit who uh, intercedes for us, right? Mm. We have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows our hearts. He's too pure to look on evil. Like we, you know, if we did not have our mediator, Jesus Christ, between us and the Lord, yeah, he would be dead. Yeah. In sitting in silence, because we're also supposed to worship. Yeah. It's only for a time. Yeah. So it's also like patience. Yeah. You have to you have to get through certain seasons. Yeah. True. And the worship will be later. Yeah. Definitely. There is that um there is that aspect of complete holy reverence, right? Mm -hmm. That is tough for us to imagine now, but it's good to have those times of silence. It's good solitude and silence is one of the spiritual disciplines. To just sit sometime with an open Bible and just be silent before the Lord. Well, it says in Scripture, be still. Yep. And, and know that I am God. And know that yeah. I am God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Be still. Yep. And so I think that's the right response. You know, there'll be things that will happen. Um, I go back to maybe something like 9-11, you know, when those towers dropped. You know, of course, there was screaming and lamenting, but I'm sure there was a complete silence, you know, as people just 
actually tried to understand what the yeah. heck just happened. Yeah, is, is it also yeah. speaking though to our ourselves like we worry. We are we're constantly working stuff over in our minds. Yeah. You know, like how are we going to fix this? How are we going to get out of this? Yeah. What are we going to do? You know. Yeah. And like this, you know, to be silent also in your own mind and, and know that I am God. You know? Yeah. 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 And how hard is it to, to do that, right? Because yeah. we all have those things going around in our heads. Oof. How hard is it just to, as they say, be praise and be patient and trust? Yeah. Well, I think that's part of the preparation for Sunday, too. For Sunday is that we, that we need to slow down, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. be, uh, be still and ask the Lord to quiet our hearts and minds yeah. of all this stuff. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so the Bible speaks of that often, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because our mind is just consumed. Yeah. The pendulum has definitely swung, right, in uh, American churchianity, right? So it was, used to be very, very reverent. You know, church was something, you know, everybody was quiet and, you know, wore a suit and there was only the organ playing and, you know, kids had to sit there and behave and all of that, right? And then you swung all the way to the other, you know, that's, I'm thinking of that movie, you know, the Jesus Revolution, where they, they come walking in and, you know, their dirty clothes and jeans and everybody's freaking out. But it's like, no, we swung it all the way, you know, kind of in that direction, very informal worship, where it's just like, come as whatever, wear whatever, you know, talk, I don't, you know, the, whenever you want to talk. And, and, and so it's kind of gone there for a while. I would like to think it's coming back a little bit. And that's something that I agree with Mel. We have lost that. Um, I think we do need to regain some of that. Well, the old reformed way is to get to church early. Yeah. And uh, prepare to come and uh, sit there and uh, meditate even before. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? In this society, the majority of all the people come the last five minutes or, oh, or ten minutes after. Oh, way more than that. <laughs> well, you, you see more than that. Oh, yeah. You, you see more than I see, you know. But, yeah. yeah. Be a greeter, you'll see it. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's a, I'll, give you, I'll give you a report. There's a 945 service. There's a 955 service sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I, sometimes I'll be up there, I'll see people walking in. I'm just like, still? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Glad you're here. But wow. Yeah, the no one sat in the front because it was the walk of shame for the late people. <laughs> and my family was always oh. late. Oh. So notice I'm not. So they didn't have any benches roped off in the back for latecomers? No, no, you had to go all the way up. Everybody had to get to see you, you know, take yeah. that front view if you were late. We have to use our imagination a little more, right? No. I mean, imagine that. The Lord is in his holy temple. Like, Someone worshiping, even at the temple in Jerusalem. Like, you go look at the ruins today. They're massive, absolutely massive. And that's nothing compared to what that temple used to look like. Like, you walked into that temple, for sure, you were awestruck um, by what you saw and the presence of the Lord at that point, you know, talking about it. So it's, um, it's something that we have to use our imagination with a little bit. And... This is where we get our imagination, right? We, we read passages like this, and it should inform our hearts that, yeah, God is, even I can't, I can't see him, like I'm at Highlands Bible Church, 
There might be all kinds of distractions or whatever else, but that doesn't mean he's not holy and does not deserve my reverence. Uh, so. I had an experience like that when I was last week down in North Carolina hunting. Yeah. And we were up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And there was a bad storm, and that sunrise was just, we were sitting in the middle of the field, right? And that sunrise was just amazing. Yeah. And you just sit there and just in awe and wonderment. Romans 1, right? It just, it just, uh, his, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divinity have clearly seen in what's been made. And my non-Christian friend, the dentist, said, Oh, God just painted a nice picture there. <laughs> I got one. God. Yep. The guy who invented the color orange. Yeah, he just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's amazing. And, and you're sitting there pretty much in silence with just a couple of birds chirping, you know? Yeah. Well, even still, I mean, we see the power of that in nature with big storms or beauty, you know, stand by in front of the Grand Canyon or something. It's, it's, you have that sense of awe. I've never seen the Lord. No? Yeah. The last part where Habakkuk ends is also probably familiar with us, right? It calls us to praise and trust in Yahweh, in, Yahweh, in God. Very, very familiar passage, right? But we have this resolve of Habakkuk that comes into play. He's just like, okay, God, I, I've, I've laid my case out, right? And he gives this big prayer uh, at the end of, well, chapter 3 is all of Habakkuk's prayer. And then especially at the end in verse 17, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the yields and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And then a little note about that. That's a, a psalm that's supposed to be. So he's not in silence anymore. He's not in silence anymore. Right? That's familiar language again about the uh, no grapes, no vines, and about no crops. Or yep. That that was in the past. We talked about that, right? Yep. He uh, pours out his lament to God one more time, and then in this last part, he kind of comes to this resolution, like, "Okay, God, even if this doesn't work out the way I want it to, I will still praise you." Right. And he says, there's no fig trees, there's no fruit, there's no produce, there's nothing in the fields, there's no flocks, there's no herds, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And everything else goes wrong. I'm still going to rejoice in you, and I'm going to take joy in the God of my salvation. And he says, you are my strength. Whatever you're going to bring me to, you're going to give me the strength to get through. It's a beautiful passage of um, trust in the Lord despite what's going on all around us. So if you're ever struggling with that being overwhelmed, Habakkuk 3, the end of that, is a really good place to go. All right, let's look at our last summary in Zephaniah. Our final three-chapter book for the evening. Context again, same thing. Late 7th century, same deal. Northern Israel is gone. Southern Israel is still standing, though they're threatened and they're next. Judah continues to practice their idolatry right all around them and 
We've seen it all along. God said, for hundreds of years, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to judge you. I'm going to judge you. Even the way back in Genesis, he said, if you do not listen to me when you get in the promised land, I will judge you. That's what he told Abraham. And then he uses uh, the term the day. Like the day of the Lord, the day of this. Right? We've seen that coming. What do we mean? Joel said it a bunch. What is the day of the Lord? Judgment. Yeah, usually that's the, the Lord is exercising his judgment on that day. The theme they have here for us, the day of the Lord will be the most terrible day ever and is executed against all false gods. But even in that calamity, God will create a remnant for himself. So we have a remnant, just like we had in, which one is that, Micah? We were talking about the remnant. So you have a familiar theme, remnant. What is a remnant? I always forget. A small portion. A small portion. Something left over. Right? A little bit. Bridget will probably go home the remnant of cookies. Maybe. Maybe not. And so we have a couple of things talking about the day of the Lord. First of all, the day of the Lord upon Judah. Zephaniah chapter 1. Right? The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah. And he says this in verse 2. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Okay. That's starting out pretty bad. Yeah. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wow. wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Oh, wait a minute. What? Did he promise after Noah never he would never do that again? With the flood. With the flood. Oh. Nuclear option. Yeah. 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 He's still gonna judge. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, another idol, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. So once again, we see judgment narratives, right? He turns first to Judah and says, Okay, guys, I've told you, and it is now going to happen. It is imminent. Can't say he didn't warn him. Time and time again, we've been walking through this. Right? Um, and again, uh, they noted the flood of Genesis. Right? It is kind of judgment on the whole, whole earth, just like that. And Judah included those that are not faithful to the Lord. So he turns first to Judah. And then secondly, he turns to the rest of the nations. And he continues on. Uh, be silent. Again, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials in the king's son. He says, on the day, again, I will punish, verse 9. On the day, verse 10. Right? Skip down to verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. Right? Why? Skip down to verse 17. Because they've sinned <coughs> against the Lord. So is God's wrath just? Yes. yes. It is just. It's hard for us to think about, but it is just. right? Um, sometimes we can look at it and think it's very severe, which it is very severe, but the way God, mm -hmm. God has to punish sin. 
Right? He is too pure to look on evil. He cannot be with evil, right? especially for his nation, right? The ones that he told them exactly yeah. what to do. And they turned from him. They rejected him. Right? So it's, it starts off like that, very, very strong. And we get through uh, judgment on Judah's enemies in chapter 2. And then we get to chapter 3, where he uh, kind of goes into more judgment narratives in, in verse 1. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Right? And then he kind of has a, a change, if you will, in chapter 3. Verse 8, this gets into now the salvation for the remnant. He says, therefore, wait for me, in verse 8 of chapter 3, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to see the prey, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, right? for the fire of my jealousy, and the earth shall be consumed. Right? Um, Verse 11, on that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proud and exultant ones. It's like, okay, now we're getting into some language here where he's just taking out, like, you shall not be put to shame because I'm going to take out the ones that are sinful, right? So if I take out the ones that are sinful, then therefore we have a remnant that is left that he will express um, mercy upon. Um, jump down to verse 14. So, so to 12, humble and lowly. Okay. Doesn't Jesus use that term, gentle and lowly? Absolutely. Yeah. Matthew 11. Uh, Matthew 11. But I will leave in your midst the people humble and lowly. Yep. So that's the remnant, right? Seek the refuge in the name of the Lord. Oh, yeah. And Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are. Right? Yeah, mine says meek and humble. For I am yeah, gentle and lowly. Yep. I'm sorry. I didn't no, that's fine. Yep. That's totally fine. Verse 14 says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let your hands not grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. And behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise. And renown in all the earth. And at that time I will bring you in. At that time I will gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all peoples of the earth. I will restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Well, we get some good news at the end of Zephaniah. Yeah. Right? Well, that sounds like the promise of Jesus. It certainly does, does it? That would be my next question. When is this going to happen? <laughs> Did he just call the whole thing off? time. <laughs> Did he just say, okay? <laughs> yeah, right? We talked about these prophetic mountains, right? And we talk about we talk about this here, what's happening right now in, in this point in history. 
Then we talk about the next mountain, which would be fulfilled in Jesus, right? What he's going to do. And then another mountain farther off would be the end times, where he does this permanently. Right? So we've got to remember that it's, it is this and it is here and now, but it's also prophecy for what's, what will come in Jesus the Messiah and then what will come ultimately at the end of all things when he establishes um, the new heavens and the new earth. There's some pretty personal language at the end of this. Um, he will quiet you by his love. In verse 17, he will exult over you with loud singing. I mean, the, the, the balance of everything that God is, right? We're humbled before him. We are silent before him of his awe and his power, but yet he's rejoicing over us and sings over us. What is that? Anybody ever think that God sings over his people? It's wild to think about. Yeah, that is wild. You know? Think of like a, a mom singing over her baby. You know, yeah. That just joy that she has, right? Wow. It's kind of it's kind of what we see in God and His people. Right? He's going to gather them from the nations. He's going to rejoice over them. And he says, "At that time, I will bring you in." And we know, of course, right? The remnant we carry that forward to what Paul says about the remnant in Romans, talking about those who are faithful, right? And he has a burden, especially Paul, for his own people, for Israel. He wants them to be believers like he is like at one point he says i would give my own salvation if i could you know for my people it doesn't work like that but that's how much he loves them and that's a reflection of how much god loves his people too so it ends on a very very hopeful note um, and really of course for us for the church of jesus christ we need to remember that this has happened that because in christ God actually does rejoice over us, right? In Christ, God actually does sing over us. He delights in us. He sees us through the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, he is pleased with us. Not because of what we do, but what our faith, the righteousness that we live in, our faith in Christ. Any other uh, comments, encouraging remarks from Zephaniah? He ends on a hopeful note. He certainly does. Yay, yeah. Yeah. for once a midweek where we end on a hopeful note. I know. <laughs> Usually it's like, you're all going to burn. Oh, let's close in prayer. <laughs> Singers in the hand of an angry God. That's right. I think it's also a reminder for us, right, to we are God's people. Yeah. Um, we are still called to be separate from the world yeah. in many ways, right? God's people still need to be pure. Um, and we see, we see the lessons of God judging the idolatrous nations of, of northern and southern Israel. So it should remind us of how serious God takes sin as well. But then, again, it goes back to the sacrifice of Christ. Like, it, it, it took that sin. It atoned for that sin. Did you have a nice little study guide for those who would like to continue on? Don't thank me. Thank the fine folks at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. I was afraid you were starting another, you know, program at school. Oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, you're starting nope. a second nope. PhD program already.
No, Mel says save that for my next wife. I said that about her. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> I think we're done, honey. Okay. Don't worry, no more. Um, but yeah, so we'll do this again. Did you guys like this? Was this okay? Yeah. yeah. Get our arms around it? Okay. We'll do this again as we tackle uh, the last three next week, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Oh, we're doing all three at once? Yeah. Yep. We'll finish the Old Testament. We'll finish the Old Testament. And then we'll be on break for two weeks while I go and graduate and whatnot. And then we'll come back with uh, the New Testament and see how far we get before we take July and August We're all off. coming to the so. ceremony, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just head uh, southwest. Yeah. It's about 13 hours. 13 hours. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. May 12th. Sure. May 12th. Are you going to preach to us with your doctor's robe on? I'm like, it was in I'm giving it back. I only rent it. Oh. The hat? The hat, I rent the hat too. Oh, my gosh. oh wow. Yeah. I do get the tassel. There's my my tassel for my master's. Okay. That's all I kept when I graduated high school. If you'd like to see what the, what the master's robe looked like, the doctor's robe is different. It's got all these traditions with like what the sleeves mean and the colors and all of that stuff. So, yeah, it's a lot of stuff. I was disappointed though because the doctoral hats. Um, They're not puffy? No, these are not. Like, Ryan, when he got his doctorate, he had the funny puffy hat. Yeah, the puffy hat. And I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to wear the funny puffy hat. That's why you did all this school. I know. So you could wear that. And then I had to order my regalia, and they had very clear instructions. Like, if you're a doctorate of ministry in these disciplines, you get the boring point of square hat. (laughs) What the heck? That's it. That's it. What's that? Do doctors decorate? I mean, the kids will decorate their hats, right? I mean, that would have been not at Southern. I don't think anybody did that. Did they? Not at Southern. Yeah, that's that's a high school and undergraduate thing. Yeah, not masters and doctorate. Sort of thing. Sort of serious. Mature people that graduate. Bow ties and. Yeah, I have to wear black so black slacks yeah. under my robe. And yeah. I don't even own black slacks, but I found the ones that I actually wore for my masters. <laughs> 2015, they still fit. They Not by much. They didn't shrink. No, they didn't shrink. Yeah, you kept them in the dryer too long. That's something that Ken would say. All right? All righty. Well, let me pray for you guys. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And Father, as we continue to go through these minor prophets and get our arms around these things, Lord, it's difficult for us to understand on several levels. Um, It's difficult when we think of your wrath and and the words that you use to express. Um, Lord, it's very violent and it's very uh, shocking to us in a lot of ways, but help us to then cause that to well up in a sense of your holiness, maybe more than we've had. Um, your reaction towards sin, which must be. Um, Father, the sense of your holiness where we're, we're silent before you. May we even think of that when we pray. You know, we know that you tell us to pray at all times with all kinds of requests, Lord, and there's no special language that we have to use when we come before you, but let our hearts be reverent when we come before you. And we're so thankful that we can come before you at all times with all kinds of requests. And we saw that tonight, that the pouring out of the prophet's heart, Lord. How long will you sit idly by and watch? And maybe we confess that sometimes we look at the events of this world and we say, how long, Lord? 
How long will you sit idly by and, and watch evil continue? Um, but we know from your word and especially from these uh, final verses of Lord Zephaniah that one day um, you will come and you will judge evil permanently and you will usher in the new heavens and the new earth and there will be no more sin. But until then, Lord, we rejoice in our righteousness in Christ. Cause us to live uh, by that righteousness through faith. Uh, Lord, help us to remember our identity that even now, as it were, you rejoice over us, you sing over us, you delight in us, not because of what we bring, but because of what Christ has done and because of the faith that we have in him. So cause that to be our identity and cause it to have uh, the right perspective on our lives. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.